In a radio address in December 1941, Australian Prime Minister John Curtin told the nation, and I quote, without any inhibitions of any kind, I make it quite clear that Australia looks to America free of any pangs as to our traditional links or kinship with the United Kingdom. Two months later, the British garrison at Singapore fell to the Japanese. It was one of the most humiliating defeats in British military history and in the eyes of many symbolised the shift from British to American global supremacy. It also marked the beginning of a long period, if it hadn't begun earlier, of Australia standing in lockstep with American foreign policy around the world. Professor Clinton Fernandez, was John Curtin justified at the time amid the exigencies of world war and a possible Japanese invasion of Australia in throwing the nation's lot in with the American empire? Prime Minister Curtin's decision was extremely wise and, in fact, uh, the most rational thing that any prime minister could have done. Yes, um, they did try to go further, of course. I mean, Curtin was not rejecting Britain so much as uh, understanding that there is a new rising power on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And basically, for Australia's World War II, it would be a Pacific war. It made perfect sense then to uh, uh, get as close to the United States as possible in order to try to even influence war strategy. Now, uh, there were limits to what could be achieved. You know, a few months after that statement, uh, the commander-in-chief of U.S. forces in the Pacific, Douglas MacArthur, arrived uh, in Australia, and Curtin's war cabinet met with him. And Curtin was actually trying to get even closer to the United States and wanted to have uh, greater involvement, but MacArthur rebuffed him. That part is not mentioned by historians. You know, MacArthur said, and this is pretty much a verbatim quote, that we have no interest in Australia. Australia is, a, is basically a, a, a platform from which we can hit the Japanese. It is, you know, we, we have no particular interest in what happens in Australia. Uh, even if our people are motivated by uh, fond feelings towards Australians, uh, our concern is really how to use Australia as a base to hit the Japanese. And so, yes, Curtin made an overture. Uh, in my view, it was very wise and rational, but also any further overtures were rebuffed. So justified foreign policy shift at the time, but jumping forward now to 1951, Professor Fernandez, that's the, the year when the Menzies government signed up to ANZUS, the Australian-New Zealand-United States Security Treaty, a Cold War alliance, the NATO of the South Pacific, if you like, which formally cemented what you would argue is Australia's sub-imperial role in the American-led international order. What do you say to the commonly held view, with which older listeners in particular would be familiar, that Australia needed a big brother at the time, that the threat of the so-called Russian bear and its allies in the Asian region was so great that Canberra had no choice but to, as it were, cower under the shade of America's nuclear umbrella? I'd say that uh, the foreign minister in question, Percy Spender, uh, negotiated the ANZUS uh, Treaty with the United States and New Zealand, and yet it was signed in 1951. Um, and it's basically been the bedrock of Australian strategic thinking since then. And so Spender, although he wasn't in office for very long, um, he's been the most, he's had the most long-lasting legacy as a foreign minister, judged simply by the ANZUS Treaty. But once again, it wasn't very much. Okay? He, he was trying to do basically the same thing that Curtin was trying to do. Um, and all he could get uh, was a Pacific pact that was not the NATO of the Southwest Pacific or of anywhere else. NATO commits uh, the various members of NATO uh, to, to act in the common interest and an at attack on one is an attack on all and they will act you know, with, with weapons uh, uh, to, to fight back. ANZUS provides no such guarantee. It is a talk shop and that too, not a very effective one. 
In fact, it wasn't until the United States really needed Australia uh, and its real estate, you know, to establish the facilities at Pine Gap uh, and Narunga and the Northwest Cape uh, that, that the United States began to take a serious interest in Australia. Uh, we were regarded as a nice piece of real estate. So uh, ANZUS did not actually uh, constitute anything like NATO. Now, we inevitably, we're going to jump around with some of the history here, Professor Fernandez. We're limited in terms of our, our time, but so we'll have to take a broad brushstrokes approach to, to all the questions we're analysing. But if we do take that broad brushstrokes approach to post-World War II history, it's abundantly clear that Australia did indeed, as Kurt declared in 1941, look to America for its lead. You've already mentioned the Pine Gap intelligence space, which remains in Australia to this day. From the Korean War to Vietnam to the First Gold War of 1991, Somalia, the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, all the way through to support for American interventions in Libya, Syria and Ukraine. Australia has maintained what some would argue was a craven relationship, a relationship of subordination to the United States. Is that an accurate characterisation of the relationship or has it instead been a relationship that has first and foremost benefited Australian elites or benefited, if you like, the Australian ruling class? Uh, look, Craven is something that is said by opponents of such an alliance, and it's a value judgment. I don't want to enter into that. But the subordination aspect of your question is correct. I mean, that's just a neutral statement. You know, it is the Australian Defence Force's mission uh, to be interoperable with the United States, or is it to defend Australia? And the answer to that is, it is to be interoperable with the United States. The Royal Australian Air Force, for example, is, has been optimized to effectively be a wing of the United States Air Force. We are acquiring nuclear-powered submarines, uh, not to defend Australia, but to be interoperable with the United States in the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait. That subordination uh, is, is a neutral statement. Either a country subordinates its defense policy to operate with a greater power, or it doesn't. And if it does, it subordinates. But I, w- I wouldn't say Craven is sort of, uh, you know, it's, it, it carries a certain loaded uh, sentiment, which I don't subscribe to. I think it's a rational decision uh, in which uh, uh, our government and our defense planners and foreign affairs uh, planners uh, want to uphold what they call a rules-based international order. Now, The euphemism is rules-based international order. What it actually is, is an imperial order in which the United States sits at the apex of a hierarchically structured imperial system. And there are a number of other countries um, and its allies and so on that are below it. Um, And and they basically have to subordinate themselves in order to uphold that order. There is uh, so much more we could discuss, Professor Fernandez. We may have to get you on another time to explore these matters in greater depth. But briefly turning to what I certainly regard as a crystal clear case study in the brutal realities of Australian foreign policy, and that's the question of of Timor-Leste. Now, we simply don't have time to go through the whole history, but it's in the official documentary record. It's been proven with publicly available evidence that Australian governments, including the Whitlam government, actually, in the lead up to the invasion, provided uh, tacit and sometimes overt logistical, military, political and economic support for the Indonesian invasion and genocide in Timor-Leste. A third of the population, some 200,000 people, were killed by the Indonesians, many tortured to death and massacred. Why did Australia act so shamefully throughout this whole period? And why, for instance, did Prime Ministers Paul Keating and John Howard back the Indonesian dictator Suharto, the man principally responsible for these crimes, right up until his final days in power? The invasion... 75 was green-lighted by the Whitlam government and defended uh, diplomatically by him and his successors at the United Nations and elsewhere. There is no question about that. But the reason why the invasion occurred has to be understood. 
uh, it is because the Timorese were trying to mobilize their own population uh, and, and uh, assert uh, development and economic you know, uh, advancement on their own terms. That was anathema to, the, to Indonesia because the Indonesian dictatorship wanted to suppress political activity. It didn't want any village-level mobilizations. And the Indonesians feared that if a successful e- example of development occurred in Timor in the middle of the Indonesian archipelago, it would be a challenge to the Indonesian dictatorship's rule. And the head of the Indonesian section at DFAT understood that and said so. Now, as for the rest of it, uh, it's basically once you're in, you're in, you know, and you, you kind of perpetuate, uh, you know, the, the, the foreign policy decisions of your predecessor. Foreign policy doesn't occur in a long term perspective. It occurs in a short term perspective by whoever happens to be in government. And then any problems that arise are kicked down the road for the next government to solve. And so Whitlam's decision was uh, was, uh, you know, c- continued by Fraser by Hawke, by Keating, and ultimately by John Howard, who was really forced by a tidal wave of public opinion uh, to reverse that policy uh, after Sohata resigned um, and uh, assist the Timorese to achieve independence. And then, of course, uh, uh, steal their oil. Well, indeed, and uh, a very mixed picture in terms of the later history of uh, really whether Australia supported Timorese independence in any kind of legitimate way. But turning now to the hot topic of of China, Professor Fernandez, and there are many aspects of the current state of affairs we could discuss, but let's focus for a moment on the question of the Solomon Islands, which has been in the news a lot recently. What's so striking to me about the extensive media coverage is that almost unmentioned, perhaps even unmentionable in polite company, is the fact there's a long, long history of Australia treating the Pacific nation and indeed nations surrounding it as a neo-colonial plaything, as an economic resource to be plundered and manipulated at will. Yet all the talk in the media has been about China's aggression in pursuing a, a security treaty with, with Honiara. So it's, it's a very one-sided picture that the media paints. What accounts for this historical blind spot in the media and indeed among academics as well, because to my mind, this is this is not journalism. It's 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 jingoistic cheerleading. Okay, the, uh, uh, the, the these countries were in fact colonies. You know, before they became neo colonies after independence, they were actually colonies. So if you look at where Nauru is, you might look at an island called Nauru. But actually, parts of Nauru are spread out over New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria as fertilizer. You know, it's been total exploitation of those places. Now, as for the Solomon Islands. Uh, What's important is to have strategic empathy. We know how we feel at at the prospect of China having any kind of military ties with the Solomon Islands. And the Solomon Islands have said, no, it's just for development, right? Well, we know how we feel at the prospect of a military tie, a military alliance between China and the Solomon Islands. Now, strategic empathy means we should understand how China feels about being encircled uh, by a collection of sentinel states, garrison states, designed uh, to uphold American pressure against China. We should have strategic empathy, just as we understand what it feels like if we are under threat. Uh, we know what we'd be like if a Chinese base was set up in Indonesia or Timor. We should understand that China itself has its own security concerns. Instead, what we see is strategic narcissism. We tell uh, other countries, um, look, our intentions are good, so don't plan for our capabilities because we've got good intentions. But then we say, no, 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 we don't trust your intentions. We have to plan for your capabilities. Uh, what's important is to reverse that dynamic. Finally, Professor Fernandez, I'm sure you agree we live in extraordinarily dangerous times. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has led to the largest, most devastating interstate war on European soil since the Second World War. And the competition between the United States and its allies on the one hand and China and its still emerging allies on the other grows more intense by the day, it would seem. 
very big question to end on, uh, Professor, but how does Australia, and really here in this context I'm talking about the Australian people, not, not the government necessarily, how do the Australian people begin forging a path of genuine independence in the world, free from the looking to America, those pangs of kinship and so on, a genuinely independent path? How can we build a future for ourselves based on the principles of peace, justice and respect for the sovereignty of other nations? Uh, we should begin by respecting the sovereignty of our own nation, never mind the sovereignty of other nations. Our own nation should be sovereign. Our own parliament should have the final decision on whether we send troops into combat. Our own parliament should have oversight of our intelligence agencies. Our own parliament and senators on the Joint Standing Committee on uh, Foreign Affairs, Defense and Trade should have access to the confidential information at Pine Gap. Currently, the United States senators have greater access to the intelligence facilities on Australian soil than we do. So forget about the sovereignty of other countries. What about our own sovereignty? And then we can make our own independent decisions.